0: Welcome to this edition of NC Talks. In this podcast, Alex Weatherston speaks to Lance McCracken, Professor of Behavioural Medicine at King's College London in the UK, about the use of psychological therapies in pain management. So, moving on a little bit to the more specifics of your work, um, a lot of your work is focused on acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, so right? Could you just give us um, a bit more of a description of how this method of treatment kind of works? Sure. So acceptance and commitment therapy um, is is basically a form of cognitive behavioral therapy there's many different kinds or variants of cognitive behavioral therapy it's not just one kind um, so the first thing to make sure that is stated here is that uh, acceptance and commitment therapy or act as we call it for short is not um, it's not a uh, it's not a competition with CBT. It's a different version of CBT. It is a version that has um, uh, its uh, its own sort of philosophical assumptions, its own approach to behavioral causality or how does behavior get coordinated or where does it come from, how do we change it. Some of these things are sort of maybe very theoretical and philosophical, although they're very important. Um, maybe the best way to say, to say it in a nutshell is that um, in a sort of traditional CBT, or usual CBT, as most people would think about it, um, there is an emphasis, a relative emphasis, on changing what people think, uh, using strategies to change how they feel or what they feel, and changing what they believe, for example, um, and that's not the exclusive focus, but there is a predominant focus on that. So in conventional CBT, what you feel and think uh, is seen as responsible for what you do or what you can't do. In ACT, it's a little bit different than that, um, and a a slightly um, more flexible or wider point of view is adopted, and that is to say that you can do what you want to do um, and change your behavior, whether you change your thoughts and feelings or not. So it's just a, in a sort of a nutshell, um, there's a bit less emphasis on the content of thoughts and feelings as the causes of what you do, okay. and there's a different uh, there's a different approach to basically uh, thoughts, language, and what we call verbal behavior in general. Something called relational frame theory is sort of an approach to cognition that's sort of allied with or runs parallel to ACT. So there's a kind of a Unique, unique way to look at thinking um, processes in act that isn't really a part of uh, of CBT. That would be a unique, a unique piece. And then what you'd see in, in treatment sessions is um, as much as possible a much less didactic and highly verbal and um, instruction based approach, and more of an experiential, exposure based, rehearsal, practice. You know, learning about learning about really where our behavior comes from not just in a highly cognitive way but in a more experiential way um, getting in contact with looking at and learning to be more aware of psychological experiences as they coordinate what we do. Fascinating. What (laughs) benefits does um, acceptance and commitment therapy provide over traditional cognitive behavioral therapy in your opinion? Well this is I mean I think it's really early days to say, I mean, um, you know, CBT has been, tra- traditional CBT or conventional CBT has, has been studied and delivered and disseminated, you know, for, for many years and ACT is sort of new, new at this. And even though maybe the first ACT study was quite a while ago, there's some kind of counterintuitive and a little bit complex pieces of that that make it, I think, maybe slightly, um, you know, you've got to put a bit of effort in to learn it. Um, I think once you get it, you can really see something in it. But there's a kind of a counterintuitive quality to it, So which is to say it's sort of been a slow burn or a slowly developing approach in some way, slowly disseminating. Um, so, so I think at this particular point in time, you can't say that ACT is superior to, to conventional CBT in terms of treatment outcome results. Uh, both seem to be, you know, about on a par. Um, there's little bits and pieces of, um, of uh, possible benefits, but these are probably just hints of things that we'll know more about in the future. Um, you know, uh, staff who deliver ACT, they, they, they seem to uh, have more enthusiasm about it. They seem to be more likely to apply it to their own lives, and they sort of take more more satisfaction away from doing it. Um, patients find it more intriguing and curious and interesting, uh, probably to at least some degree, uh, than conventional CBT. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, by the way, but anyhow, I just lay it out there. Um, I'd say the, the what you to me the advantage is, is um, which one of these approaches currently is is Designed or built for better progress from here on, okay, so which includes a set of tools and concepts, theory and philosophy uh, that will help us to tackle the problem and get better at sort of managing it or mastering it. And I think in that regard, I think there's something in ACT that provides some better tools or guides for how to research things from here on and, and how to eventually produce better treatment. So I think it's a it's, it's like you used the phrase earlier, it's like a wait-and-see issue. Um, I mean, take uh, one example. I have a Ph.D. student now who's doing something that sounds like just so big and complicated and difficult. I don't know how, how could she do it, but it's, she's doing studies of, of self and identity. So that's a really big, deep topic in psychology seems like a like a hard one to tackle but but what i'm coming back to is i think the theory and the philosophy in uh, the psychological flexibility model that's the model behind act i think it gives you guides and tools for addressing this kind of complexity because the model has sort of complexity built into it so that's the kind of advantage i see Uh, some of you know, human behaviors, big topics, I think, become more accessible because we have a set of processes in ACT that have enough complexity in themselves to appreciate uh, these these uh, human uh, behavioral phenomena. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. Um, so what, what kind of studies do you have going on? to kind of, um, I guess, progress our understanding of act on the outcomes and things for patients? Sure. Um, well, I mean, the thing that comes to mind is connected to what I was just saying. So um, one of the PhD students uh, in the group here, her name is Lin Yu. She's, um, she's doing, uh, she's done some um, a literature review and she's done some instrument development work to, to measure this, this notion of uh, self Self as context is what it's called. It's just a little bit complicated, but uh, but to to give you an example, her her final study of her PhD studies is to do an experiment, and she's doing it in a very intriguing way. And that is, she's the the experiment is being delivered online. So she recruits people; they sign up, they give their consent, they begin to participate in the study, and the and the components of the study are all delivered at a person's or tablet where they're sitting. And uh, she's doing an experiment, and the experiment is is addressing this question of um, what's a better way to face pain and difficulty? Is it to have a very positive view of who we are or to be to be open to um, to have a looser or a less entangled or less grasping um a, uh, a more, um, what we call a more contextual sense of who you are. So let me say it a different way. So we, in our culture, we, we tend to think that, you know, self-esteem and positive self-regard and self-efficacy, thinking and feeling positive about ourselves is the a way and maybe the way to succeed, that you can perform well, you can be well and do what you want and succeed if you believe you can and if you believe positively about yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what this study is looking at is whether there's another avenue, and the avenue would be to, to, to if you could step back from your evaluations of yourself, whether they're positive or negative. So is this slightly, I'll call it disconnected, but slightly separate, Um, sense of who we are that doesn't need to depend on our beliefs about who we are all right sounds weird but is this sense of who we are possibly another avenue for successful performance and well-being that we are um, we have thoughts and feelings but we are not just our thoughts and feelings and these are these. Are, we are bigger than our thoughts and feelings. We don't need to defi- be defined by our thoughts and feelings. So this kind of a, a more um, sort of um, what's the word? Um, well, separate, um, bigger, uh, distinct. Uh, sense of self, transcendent almost sense of self, is that um, another, another uh, mode, uh, is another mode of healthy functioning possible in that way. So that's what her experiment is dr- addressing. It, it has two training videos and an exposure to some sort of mildly uh, painful and distressing kind of stimulus material, and she gets to test um, some outcomes after that exposure but, you know, so just how bothered were people, how much did they want to turn away from it? If they had to do it again, would they do it again? So it can kind of test, in, a, in a kind of a at least small way, these tendencies toward avoidance and d- defense and disengagement, which are, I think, some of the key things to understand for humans because you have pain, um, any kind of chronic pain condition, the, the disability of it is 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 at least in part, you know, driven by this. I keep turning away from the things I could do yeah. because pain is a part of that. And so, so that turning away behavior or that resistance or avoidance behavior is what we we'd like to understand. And so we're you know, as I say, digging into this these matters, these sort of deep matters of self and identity, as a way to see if we can um, inquire and learn. Um, Processes in there we can manipulate. Fascinating. <laughs> so, exciting. Um, so, just to finish off, um, how do you see the field of pain medicine progressing over the next five to ten years, and I guess particularly in your kind of area of psychosocial behavioral therapies? Um, yeah, I mean. I I think there's still these big questions to answer, and I I, I think, I would say, maybe we're realizing that these big questions are the questions to answer. Um, What's interesting about, about psychology in an interdisciplinary context is your audience is not just psychologists. Your audience, your professional audience includes nurses and, and uh, anesthetists and neurologists and other specialist doctors, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, and so on. So on. I don't want to lose it, leave anyone out. But anyhow, you know, we, we, need, a, we need a version of psychology that, um, that, that fits and is understandable and is appreciated to a certain extent by all of our colleagues but it's also complex enough to meet the complexity of the problem. Behavior change is very difficult to do. Pain is a, is a very overwhelmingly difficult barrier to good functioning. And so I think, I think addressing this problem is going to be no you know, easy feat. But um, so I think we need to sort of, say it this way, sort of jack up our approach and, um, and get deeper into some basic questions. And these questions are things like, um, what is motivation? Where does it come from? Where, um, what are when our thoughts? How do our thoughts regulate our behavior? So when our thoughts show up, what makes the difference between whether we follow our thought or don't follow our thought. It, uh, it regulates what we do or doesn't regulate what we do. So I think there's these questions about uh, cognition and thinking and I think uh, emotion and motivation that are kind of really key because I think, I think um, for too long um, we've, we've kind of adopted, I don't want to be too controversial here, but we've adopted some, some concepts that have worked very well to a certain extent, and I'd name here coping, for example. Yes. Coping is a very um, common sense, a, a very um, a very easy to understand concept. But I think as a scientific concept, it's a little bit limited. It's a it's a very useful day to day concept, and um, and also ideas like our thoughts and beliefs are in charge of our behavior; they cause our behavior. Is also another very Common sense notion, but I think we have to graduate up so we can. We don't have to cancel these, but I think we need another set of principles that dig deeper into a more the more complex psychology behind these concepts, um, as these other things I've just mentioned a second ago. And I think I think that's where our progress will happen. I'll say it a different way: we don't just need to find new coping strategies, okay. Uh, We need to understand how human behavioral responses are engineered uh, as they're engineered, and then we need to sort of get in there and and find out how to create bigger change that's more long-lasting, and I I think the processes in there are cognitive, social, I would say, to emotional and motivational, and uh, I think this this is where we need to venture.